1890, just weeks before his death, Vincent van Gogh paints his last portrait. And 100 years later, almost exactly 100 years later, in 1990, that painting stands in an auction hall in New York City. As the hammer falls, the portrait breaks all previous records for the most expensive sale at an art auction. For years after, not a single work of art in the world manages to exceed the purchase price. The piece sells for $82.5 million. All this money for a piece of canvas with paint on it. No, scratch that. For a similar piece of canvas with paint on it. In the auction hall, the few hundred observers cheered loudly. Only the leading character of the drama remained silent, quietly watching the events unfold. His gaze is difficult to interpret. It seems to be melancholic, pensive, skeptical, even a bit delirious, all at the same time. His thoughts seem to surround him in swirls of blue brushstrokes. The leading character of this story is the painting, the portrait of Dr. Gachet. On this historic day, the world will see him for the very last time. It was dynamic. It was full of motion. It seemed to suggest the exposure of something that wasn't entirely observable on the surface. Not a particularly pleasant man, but something makes him interesting. In fact, one could argue that this is the most extraordinary portrait of all that he made in his short life. It's a very moving object to stand in front of. He said about this painting, it has the heartbroken expression of our time. This is a podcast about an icon of art history. An incredible way of painting in which the colour, the brush stroke, begins to break loose from its form. It's so impassioned, it almost depicts a sense of insanity. This romantic myth about Van Gogh being the mad genius only got bigger and bigger in the 20th century. This is a podcast about how a single piece of art came to reflect the last 130 years of art and society. Do you remember the desperation I felt when I couldn't get the image of the doctor's accusative eyes out of my head? As Mr. H slid the lid over the box, it was as if he were closing a coffin. Images hold incredible power. And that is precisely what's so dangerous about them, when these strong emotions are abused, like Hitler did, for example. We know that it stirred up feelings like no other piece before it. We'd never been up that high. We ought to run the currency converter. And it got to 50 million and it exploded. It just exploded into smithereens. This is a series about my search for a Van Gogh masterpiece that has been missing for almost 30 years. My name is Johannes Nichelmann, a journalist from Germany, and this is Finding Van Gogh, the podcast series about the legendary portrait of Dr. Gachet. By the way, if you'd like to take a look at the painting yourself, you'll find it in your podcast app or on our website, findingvangogh.com. In this first episode, we'll be traveling 130 years back in time. But first, let's start today, in 2019, with an empty picture frame. 
Frankfurt, Germany. I'm standing in the Stadion Museum. Actually, I'm in a part of the Stadion Museum that visitors never see. I'm in the storage room. Here, there's no cell phone service and you can only get through the door with a special chip card. The Stadion Museum is one of Germany's oldest institutions and their collection includes thousands of paintings. That's 700 years of art, spanning the Middle Ages until today, of which of course only a small fraction is ever on public display. The rest is stored here. This here is this. What about this? This is one of the depots. We have several depots. This here is one of the storage rooms. We have several storages. This is our depot manager, Herr Aubermann. This is our storage Hello. manager, Mr. Aubermann. Hello, We'd like to see the gachet frame. So it's cold here in the storage room. It's dimly lit and countless artworks hang in the rows of grid walls. So to view them, they have to be pulled out of gigantic drawers. Alexander Eiling wants to show me something. Normally I'd have no business hanging around here. Alexander Eiling runs the department for modern art. He's a curator. Right now he's especially busy with one project in particular, a huge Vincent van Gogh exhibition. This project has been five years in the making. You heard me correctly, five years for one exhibition. The Städel reached out to van Gogh collectors and museums around the world to request loans for the exhibition. You know, the more popular the artist, the more difficult it is to get your hands on his or her work. And the earlier you have to get started asking around. Where do we have another expressionist that we could pull out? Something inspired by Van Gogh. When the exhibition opens in the fall of 2019, the walls will be covered with 120 works of art by Van Gogh and other artists who were influenced by him. But here I am, standing with the curator in front of an empty picture frame. And this frame will be displayed at the exhibit as well. It'll even get its own room. This frame, which originally came with the piece when it first arrived here, was eventually replaced. So, this picture frame once held the portrait of Dr. Gachet. The story of this painting is closely linked to the history of the Städel, given that the work once belonged to the museum. It was a centerpiece of the collection until the Nazis declared it as degenerate art and confiscated it. The frame's golden paint has partially peeled off and woodworms have left their mark as well. Still, the frame offers us some insight into the original size of the painting, exactly 67 by 56 centimeters. When the painting was seen in public for the very last time, I was only a year old. I was 16 years old when Gachet was auctioned off in 1990. I don't think I can really recall. I had probably heard at some point that the most expensive art piece of all time had been auctioned. I must have heard about it. But it's kind of like trying to remember specific images, like those from your childhood, for example. You never know if you're just remembering the situation or actually recollecting the photograph itself. How did you go about trying to track down the current owners? You try through the auction house or the last stop where the work has appeared before the public eye. You try to go for the players on the market who might have access to it. In this price range, there are only very few players in the art market who know what's going on. People who have procured these works themselves or who know someone who has. And those are, of course, the people you want to approach. 
But you kind of get this feeling that this who knows where Van Gogh's cachet is, is somehow an urban myth. And the art dealers pride themselves in telling us art historians, I know where it is, but I'm afraid I can't tell you. In that moment, it's such an extremely frustrating answer that just makes you think, if you're telling me one thing, why not disclose the other? But of course they don't want to ruin their own business. In this price range, you just keep your mouth shut. Die Hinweise, die ich bekommen hatte, war auf eine sehr, sehr diskrete, fast Hintergrund. The clues I finally got came from a very discreet source to which almost no one has access. A place that basically meant the end of our research for us, because we just couldn't get past that point. And those whom I had spoken to had strongly stressed this to me. So, they basically just drew a line in the sand and said, you'll never find it. Yes, dressed up in stories about just how discreet the new owner supposedly is and the almost paranoid manner in which these secrets are kept. At some point, they just tell you brief and to the point, no, you can forget it. And eventually you say, oh well. We were hoping to find someone who had a little bit of understanding, who understood that this work actually belongs to the world that it's a piece of 20th century history and that the work would only be displayed at the exhibition but the current owner of course decides what to do with it. Somehow you were able to send this person a message? Yes, we attempted through several connections and mediators but never received a response. Is it really possible in your job to develop a fascination for a piece of art that you've never seen in person? To be honest, I've thought about it myself, especially now during the preparation. I thought to myself, you've never actually seen the painting. Indeed, we're completely preoccupied with it, with recapping its history. And that's exactly what we want to address in the exhibition. But in the end, I've never actually seen it. And maybe having never seen it is what heightens the fascination even more. That a piece of the story always remains a mystery. And that the fascination becomes even greater whenever there is a sense of hope that you'll actually finally get to see it. The portrait of Dr. Cachet is somewhere out there. The current owner, anonymous. We can't see the original painting anymore. Unless, of course, somebody listening to this podcast happens to have it and gets in touch with us. Any clues involving the Musée d'Orsay in Paris don't count. It's true, one Dr. Gachet hangs there, but that's the second version of the painting. Luckily for us, we still know the incredible story of this first, more important version, and it sure does pack a punch. Probably the most important episode in the history of the painting is the painting of the painting. I am here in New York. Cynthia Saltzman lives in Brooklyn. She's an art historian and journalist. She spent several years working on a book about the portrait of Dr. Gachet. 400 pages focused on just one piece of art. How many hours did you spend in archives, in museums, <laughs> in... Um in libraries for your research? Many, many, or many, many hours. I love documents. Cynthia's book was published over 20 years ago. She began her research almost 30 years ago. But she still lights up when she tells me about Van Gogh and his masterpiece. When I saw this and I was doing the 100-year history of the painting, he writes this about Dr. Gachet. I'd like to paint portraits which appear after a century to people living then as apparitions. 
I thought, I have to write this book. But let's back up. Who is the man Van Gogh painted in this piece and why? To answer these questions, we need to travel back in time to the year 1890, when the paint was still fresh on the canvas. By the end of the year, Van Gogh is dead. At the beginning of 1890, Vincent is staying at a psychiatric hospital in Saint-Rémy-de-Provence in southern France. He is ill, mentally ill, they say. It is not the first time he has experienced a few rough episodes. One year earlier, he was held in a hospital against his will. Now he is in Saint-Rémy voluntarily, seeking treatment. He speaks of hallucinations, of nightmares and depression. He lives in excess, eats too little and drinks too much coffee and alcohol. In the past, he has been in danger to himself, burning his hand over some unrequited laugh and famously cutting off a piece of his own ear while fighting with his painter friend, Paul Gauguin. What would you say, which kind of illness did he have? How would we call it today? Well, we'll never know what he had because you can't, even though people have tried again and again, but Asylum in Saint-Rémy diagnosed him as having epilepsy, and that seems as though it was right. Because when he was sick, um, he couldn't paint. He was much too sick to paint. He was, had psychotic episodes, and he, he couldn't write, he couldn't read, and he couldn't paint. Vincent van Gogh is born 37 years earlier in the Netherlands. His family has several connections in the art world, and they decide Vincent should train to be an art dealer. But his career is a flop. After this, he dabbles as a bookseller, a teacher and finally a lay preacher. He's driven by his religious convictions and is very sentimental. He's afraid of being alone. In 1880, ten years before he paints Dr. Gachet, he loses his job as a lay preacher. It is then that he makes up his mind. From now on, he only wants to pursue art. Van Gogh is not completely alone through these ups and downs. The most important person in his life is his brother Theo. He lends him money and words of advice. And he eventually becomes his art dealer, although he only manages to sell two of Vincent's paintings. Theo basically organizes his older brother's entire life. We know all of this because the two exchanged many letters, over 900 in total. And they had this dialogue, but, you know, back and forth. And so in these letters, um, Van Gogh explains his painting. He also, you know, is explaining his painting because he wants to explain to Theo all the time. He, they're like progress reports. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. This is what I'm trying to do. But Theo also um, understood, uh, you know, was completely sophisticated about art and understood exactly what he was talking about. These letters almost read like the chapters of a novel. In early 1890, as Vincent was interned in the psychiatric hospital in southern France, he receives a letter from Theo. This is the very first record we have of Dr. Gachet being mentioned. My dear brother, how sad it is to be so far from one another and to know so little of what the other is doing. That's why I'm very happy to be able to tell you that I've met Dr. Gachet. He looks like a man who understands things well. He resembles you a little. He resembles you a little. This last sentence will be interesting later on. Theo continues. When you come here, we'll go and see him. He comes to give consultations in Paris several times a week. He said to me when I told him how your crisis occurred that he didn't believe that this had anything to do with madness and 
that if it was what he thought, he replied that he would cure you, but he needed to see you and talk to you to be able to give his opinion with greater certainty. He's a man who can be very useful to us if you come here. And this doctor had befriended many artists, and he had also was something of an expert in psychological diseases, psychiatry. Um, and Theo thought that if Van Gogh got sick, that he would help him. When Vincent doesn't respond to the idea, Theo writes him another letter. Your silence proves to us that you're still suffering, and I need to tell you, my dear brother, that Joe and I are also suffering, knowing that you're still ill. Joe, that's Johanna van Gogh, Theo's wife. Vincent doesn't respond. For many weeks he feels he is incapable of writing letters. He then eventually responds to Theo's message about this Dr. Gachet. I think that it'll be best for me to go myself to see this doctor in the country as soon as possible. Then we can soon decide if I'm going to lodge with him or temporarily at the inn and thus will avoid an overlong stay in Paris, a thing that I would fear. Vincent wants to avoid the stressful and chaotic city of Paris. He decides instead to move to Auvers, where Dr. Gachet has his house. He came to Auvers, which was a town right outside Paris, on May 20th, 1890, and he had left the asylum in Saint-Rémy. He felt as though the asylum was doing nothing for him. He wanted to be near his brother Theo, who lived in Paris, but he wanted to be in the country. Vincent writes, I'm confident that I can prove to this doctor you speak of that I still know how to work logically and he'll treat me accordingly. And since he likes painting, there's sufficient chance that a solid friendship will result from it. So, all hopes are on Dr. Gachet. He believes he can heal Vincent. At the end of May, Van Gogh leaves southern France to travel to this small commune north of Paris. The day he arrived in Auvers on May 20th, he met Dr. Gachet. He decided he would do his portrait. But he didn't start the portrait till June 3rd. So he was thinking about it. I set out for Auvers as well. But it is not Dr. Gachet who waits for me. Instead, I meet Dominique Janssens. He picks me up at the local train station. So it's 12 o'clock now. Auvers is a small provincial town on a mountainside, just seven kilometers long. It's a beautiful area. I'm here for the first time. Just outside, it's from Paris by car, it's 25 minutes. 40, 45 minutes when the traffic is bad. But I just have to call the restaurant. Dominique is 72 years old and originally from Belgium. His grey hair is receding from his forehead and it sticks up slightly at the back. In a way, he reminds me a bit of Van Gogh's Dr. Gachet. He has reserved us a table for lunch. It's in the Auberge Ravoux, the last place Van Gogh lived. Dominique is actually the owner of this restaurant. But first, we visit the house of none other than Dr. Gachet himself. I've read that it's been well-preserved and it's almost in its original condition. Dominique has one mission, Hello. to ensure that the memory of Van Gogh remains alive in Auvers. It's not a tourist place, it's more a pilgrimage place for Van Gogh lovers, so... 
There's a small ticket booth in Dr. Gachet's garden. Dominique approaches the woman inside and explains to her the reason for our visit. Here on this property live Paul Gachet. Here, his portrait was painted by Vincent van Gogh. Dominique is in a hurry. He has business to attend to in Paris. He seems serious and restless. I just do something very quickly. Yeah. So that was the toilet where Van Gogh sits down. They all came to this toilet. So Wonderful. The, yeah. <laughs> an outhouse. In this place of pilgrimage, an outhouse is the first attraction. And then maybe you will see from here. You see, that's the table. That's the original table. The original. Normally the, the table, when Van Gogh painted, it was here. So Dr. Gachet was sitting here. So we have the table. The table is still red, as it is in the painting, and easily over two meters long. The wooden panel is shielded by a glass top, which is further protected by a centimeter thick layer of dust. We hurry inside. So, so that was the place where they were hanging the self-portrait of Van Gogh was on this one. The famous, uh, maybe it's here already. I like the house because it's maybe the only house where Van Gogh came. You can see everything is like how it was 100 years ago. So here there are small rooms with low ceilings and a few original pieces of furniture that look mostly untouched. Otherwise, there are some photographs of people from the here and now hanging on the walls. It doesn't really feel like the room that Van Gogh would have seen here 130 years ago. He describes going to his house and how it's dark, dark and filled with too many things. But he wanted to believe he could help him. Gachet and Van Gogh start meeting regularly at this point. And they have something in common, their passion for art. He says, today I saw Dr. Gachet again, and I'm going to paint at his place on Tuesday morning. Then I'm going to lunch with him, and afterwards he'll come to see my painting. Gachet was interested in his art. He seemed to understand it. He had showed him a, a self-portrait he'd made, and Dr. Gachet liked it very much. Gachet is a fan of Van Gogh's work. He enjoys being around artists. Van Gogh even writes in a letter, he's sometimes like a brother to me. We are both physically and mentally very similar. Van Gogh is incredibly productive in Auvergne, painting and writing nonstop. He hasn't experienced a single crisis here yet. Gachet suggests he tries occupational therapy. Van Gogh writes, he says I should keep on working and no longer think about the things in the past. That way, he'll be able to provide relief more easily. I must simply open myself up to him rather than be bashful. The moment in which I need him may come, but until now, everything has been going well. And it could even get better. I tend to think I've simply come down with a disease from the south and maybe even the trip back here was enough to drive it away. Nevertheless, it remains unclear what exactly Gachet planned to do to provide Van Gogh with relief. So I saw some photographs of, of Dr. Gachet. I think there's one or two on the internet, on, on Wikipedia. Um, also in this book? Yeah, there's one in this Christie's catalogue. He didn't look really anything like this picture, which is why I say I... I um, in this picture, you know, Van Gogh really transforms him and transforms the... 
It's not a representational picture of him. And really, this picture, the Dr. Gachet looks more like Van Gogh than he does like Dr. Gachet. But that's not really why I think of it as a self-portrait. I think of it more as an emblematic self-portrait. Where is this picture? Here it is. He's, he's an odd-looking character. His hair is standing up, and he looks very 19th century with his dark, heavy suit and his vest and his high collar. But he looks very sad, too, doesn't he? No, I don't think he looks sad. No? I think he looks quizzical. He has a quizzical expression. And he's going there twice per week to have a dinner. Before his arrival, Van Gogh had even considered living in Gachet's house. Because he came from the asylum and it was better to have a, a doctor in the arts taking care of him that year. But Dr. Gachet didn't want to have Van Gogh at home because he got a young daughter and, and he didn't want to take any risk. How do you see this guy? How does he look like in real? And how did he behave? You spent many years with him together, in a way. Well, no, I think I spent really the years with um, Van Gogh and his perception of Dr. Gachet. And that is what I always um, think about. And when I look at this portrait, is, it is completely Doc Van Gogh's interpretation of him is how I really see him. Immediately after he met Dr. Gachet, he wrote to his brother Theo, he is as sick as you or I. And four days after he met him, he wrote, we have to give up on Dr. Gachet. He will be no help to us, to me. So in a way, he, medically, he was in despair, really, about the fact that if he got sick again, Gachet was not going to help him. I, I, was, I have these quotes about there. So, I've seen Dr. Gachet, who gave me the impression of being rather eccentric, but his doctor's experience must keep him balanced while combating the nervous ailment from which it seems to me he certainly is suffering at least as seriously as I am. Four days later, May 24th, I think we must in no way count on Dr. Gachet. In the first place, he's iller than I am. It seemed to me, or let's say, just as much. There you have it. Now when one blind man leads another blind man, do they not both fall into a ditch? So it shows that he's really in despair about that, that aspect of Dr. Gachet. So obviously he's terribly worried that once again nobody will help him. So Van Gogh is now desperately seeking treatment. At the same time, he has to face the fact that the one person whom he has set all of his hopes on is ultimately not there to help him, because this person needs help himself. And that is the man that Van Gogh painted in his last portrait. On June 5th, 1890, his painting is complete. Van Gogh describes the piece to his sister. Thus, the portrait of Dr. Gachet shows your face the color of an overheated and sun-scorched brick with a reddish hat of hair and white cap. In surroundings of landscape, blue background of hills, his suit is ultramarine blue. This brings out the face and makes it paler, despite the fact that it's brick-colored. The hands, hands of an obstetrician, are paler than the face. Before him on a red garden table, yellow novels and a dark purple foxglove flower. My portrait of myself is almost like this, too. 
So he looks at Gachet as the patient. He's the doctor. The reason it, the painting is uh, amazing in many ways, but one of them is that he shows his rational understanding of his own illness. It's a very modern, modern portrait. He painted it really not just as a portrait of Dr. Gachet, but as a self-portrait and as a portrait of the modern artist and also the state of mind of the modern world. When I met curator Alexander Eiling in Frankfurt at the Städel Museum, he drew my attention to another important detail of the painting. Portrait of Dr. Gachet is not only a portrait of Gachet, but it's also a still life of the objects that lay before him on the table. And this still life was not arbitrarily composed, but rather deliberately put together in that manner by Van Gogh. On the table we see two yellow books. One of the books is written by the Goncourt brothers, two sibling authors who wrote stories about 19th century French society. The novel depicted is about the struggle of a group of artists in Paris, a portrayal of the 19th century Parisian art market. The second novel is about the fall of one woman into joblessness and alcoholism, who then loses her mind and is later found dead in the street. The books essentially connect all of Van Gogh's hopes and fears. On one side, there's his success in the art world, and on the other, the fear of insanity and his eventual death. So you have two brothers writing these novels, and Vincent also writes constantly to his brother Theo. Exactly. He of course sends the painting to his brother. He hopes to convince Theo to quit dealing art and to become an artist with him so that they can succeed on the market together and create art, just like the Goncourt brothers. This reference to the Goncourt brothers represents thus a small flicker of hope and Vincent's offer to Theo. So, back to France. So that was the main piece for you, I think, the house of Dr. Gachet. Dominique now wants to show me the guest house where Van Gogh died. In the Auberge Ravoux, the artist stayed for three and a half francs a night. This place is not only closely intertwined with Van Gogh's life, but also with Dominique's. As we are sitting in his car, he suddenly begins to tell his extraordinary story. In fact, I discovered the house by Van Gogh by a car accident in 85. And during my eradication, I learned from the police report that my accident was in front of the house of Van Gogh. And to me, uh, Van Gogh was the guy who cut his ear around the prostitute, he killed himself. And it was a story about uh, the southern part of France. And I say, no, he, he lived there. He died in Auvergne. He's buried in Auvergne. Maybe one minute, so I will show you. He left out of his suitcase and spent most of his nights in hotels, until the accident. So he decides to take a year off and purchases the Aubert Chavou. And he arranges it just as it may have looked in 1890. I love Van Gogh as a writer. So I read all his letters and one of the last letters from Auvergne, he was writing to his uh, brother. I'm just quoting him. One day or another, I feel I can manage an exhibition of my own in a cafe. So when I read that, 
then I say, wow, that's a big challenge. This is why Dominique Janssens has been fighting for years to have a Van Gogh painting hanging in the Auberge Ravoux. In Van Gogh's old room, to be exact. And not just any Van Gogh painting, but the portrait of Dr. Gachet. Unlike curator Alexander Eiling from the Stereo Museum, Dominique actually believes there's a chance he will get his hands on it. In July of 1890, Vincent van Gogh travels to Paris to visit his family, his brother Theo and Theo's wife, Johanna. The whole visit made him very upset um, because he was, Theo was thinking about going out on his own and starting his own business. Now, obviously, that would be much more, he wouldn't have a steady income then and it would be much more precarious. And even though Van Gogh would like to support that, he was very worried. Uh, when he came back, he wrote, Theo, it is no small matter when for different reasons we are made aware of the precariousness of our existence. Now, that could be interpreted about his um, mental illness, but I think it was really more about his income. A little bit more than two weeks later that he commits suicide. It's very difficult to understand, I think, what happened. I think he was really terrified that his disease was returning and that he wouldn't be able to get any help for it and that he was a burden to Theo. But I think it's very, very difficult and I'm very hesitant, really, to interpret it because we just don't know enough. On July 27th, Van Gogh shoots himself in the chest. He lives for two more days. No, in fact, I, I was 13-7 like Van Gogh when he died and I survived after my accident. It's exactly how I discovered the first time when I came in 85 to see Van Gogh's room. We are now standing in the very place where the artist died. In the 1980s, Dominique conserved the room in the condition he found it, with green cracked walls and a small window in the roof. There's some music coming from the next room over. A group of tourists are viewing a slideshow that Dominique has prepared himself. So we only kept the chair because what you have to know when uh, Van Gogh killed himself, uh, the Ravu family was asking to the Madeira family, who was a local doctor, to take care of Van Gogh because he came up and he, he got some blood. And uh, the Madeira family was refusing. They say it's Dr. Gachet, he knows him. So Dr. Gachet arrived here and then he discovered that he couldn't save him. So he wrote a letter, but Vincent refused to give the, the name, uh, the, the address from Theo. So the neighbor, another Dutch painter, came to came to here and went with a letter next day to, to pick up Theo in Paris. And he came back with Theo. So Theo was sitting down there two days. And that's why the only furniture I left is a, is a chair to say, sit down. And, and here people can imagine themselves. I'm standing in front of two simple tombstones covered in a thick layer of ivy in the cemetery of Auvers. Vincent and his brother, Theo, who died just after he did, found their last moments of peace here. For hundreds of years, the residents of this small town have been buried on this hill. But it's not just the locals who make their final resting place here. You see, the, you see here the, the ashes. Overall, you have ashes. 
from that people. Yeah, and most are artists. Sometimes they're, they're on the testament, they receive some money to the flight, they come with the flowers and then they have boxes with ashes and they throw it here. They pour the ashes of their deceased over Vincent and Theo's graves. I take a step back. I'm shaken. Two lizards bask in the sunlight that drapes the tombstones. And then, as if on command, they disappear into the ivy, seeking refuge among the ashes of Van Gogh and Meyers. A group of tourists approaches. Some of them pose in front of Vincent's tombstone, others in front of Theo's. As long as it's a Van Gogh. But why do you like him? Why is it so interesting for you? Global, <laughs> global painting stuff. You just came to visit the graveyard, or actually we are doing a tour. Ah, yeah, uh, yeah. He's a guy. I mean, everybody has interest in Vincent Van Gogh, right? Yeah. I But think. why? For what? <laughs> But what? Why is he um, so interesting for all of us? Um, because of his life as well. You know, it's kind of tragic that he has he didn't have a really good life. He didn't uh, live long enough. He had a short life. I, uh, he, guide, he just explained that he spent like 70 days, uh, the last 70 days of his life here. Yeah, but he was sick. And but his painting, they are amazing. Oh. His life was really starving and hungry, and he didn't like, really? make any economic, you know, life. Yeah. One, two. One, two. Cheers. Ciao. Au revoir. The group of tourists move on. And the cemetery is empty once again. Contrary to the popular narrative, Van Gogh didn't fully embody the image of the poor, neglected artist for which he eventually became so famous. He wasn't even as lonely as people think. He had family, friends and loyal devotees. How does it come that we have this cliché image of Van Gogh? I think because it fit right into our romanticized image of The artist is madman and genius, which was very popular, you know, all throughout the 19th century. But his true story is so, so deep and so strong. So we don't need another story, I think. So why do we have it? Because I guess that story is also appealing. You know, it's so sympathetic that artists are on the outside of civilization and... And society. So, yeah, and society and can't be, can't be part of it. He says that this has the melancholy expression of our time. It is because he says artists are misunderstood. And it's true. He, you know, people took a while for people to accept his art. And, um, but he was very rational. His painting had really nothing to do with his illness. And it is not a reflection of his illness at all. And um, this romantic myth about Van Gogh being the mad genius, only got bigger and bigger in the 20th century. It was in the 1980s, really, that um, scholars started to cut through that and explain what an intellectual artist he was, and that he liked to base his pictures on reality, he said. You know, he liked painting from nature, but he filtered that through this vast knowledge of the history of art. And this is a perfect example because he uses Melancholia, which was um, the Durer print, the 16th century Durer print, but also he talks about this pose of melancholy. Um, it's traditional 
It's a painting that's both abstract and representational. It's traditional in that he uses these attributes. Van Gogh has been dead for almost 130 years. The place of his death has become a museum. Marketing expert Dominic Janssens told me he doesn't want to create a kind of Disneyland here, but rather a historical site for Van Gogh's connoisseurs and admirers. He wants to bring the portrait of Dr. Gachet back to Auvergne. But does he know the location of the painting? From the information I got, yes. Um, where is the Van Gogh painting of Dr. Gachet? Somewhere. Why is it a secret? Because it's a secret. If you would have the money, you could buy the Dr. Gachet. Or no, not. I have a pharmaceutical company who's ready to put 200 million on the painting. I think the actual owner, the money is not a problem. I mean, the people who own today, he don't want to sell it. But maybe he can give it on loan. But if it's on loan, you know, all the, the legal problems you, you may have, because for X reasons, I cannot not explain. It's not my problem, so there are many parties involved. So but I, I will not speak about that because it's just a dream. If you can dream it, you can do it. So I'm trying to, to dream it. But uh, I'm not sure it will arrive. It's too, too sophisticated. Too, too many parties are involved. Probably the most important episode in the history of the painting is the painting of the painting. When I met Cynthia Saltzman in New York, the first thing she told me was that the most significant episode in the history of the portrait is the moment it came into being. Personally, I disagree. What happened to the work after the death of Vincent and Theo is at least as interesting and moving. Firstly, the painting switches owners a few times and was even like a personal companion for some of them. Cynthia shows me a photo from Copenhagen in 1897. I can see the painting standing in a woman's night table without a frame just leaning against the wall. The young woman is Alice Rubenfaber, and she is one of the first owners of the portrait. Perhaps she's pregnant in this picture. And um, there's the doctor beside her. He's a doctor. He saw those things. But he saw how, how she gave birth then in the end, probably. Maybe. And remember, even Van Gogh himself described the hands he painted in the portrait as the hands of an obstetrician. The piece then made the move from Copenhagen to Germany, first to Berlin, then Weimar, after that to Paris, and then, 20 years later, it ended up in Frankfurt, in the Städte Museum, where today only an empty picture frame remains to commemorate it. The work's arrival here marks a turning point in its history. The portrait of Dr. Gachet watched as Nazi Germany unleashed terror throughout Europe. Its history is intertwined with the history of the Städte Museum and especially with the story of one man from Frankfurt. That must have given him such a horrible feeling of injustice and loss. What would you do? You've lived for decades in one place. You've made a life for yourself there. You're someone that people consider to be a son of the soil. And the words broke out in revulsion. It's barbarous. So what can we actually learn today from the history of the painting, of the portrait of Dr. Gachet? Well, I think in you know, its own story, 
holds a mirror up to some of the political and social situation in the places that it was. First in France, and Germany, and then in the United States. And then it was in Japan, and now wherever it is, where it's hidden, disappeared. Finding Van Gogh is a podcast series by the Städte Museum in Frankfurt in collaboration with Jakob Schmidt and myself, Johannes Nichelmann. You can find out more about this podcast on our website, findingvangogh.com. And if you enjoyed the first episode, please leave us a rating on your podcast platform. That way you will help others find us. Thank you very much and stay tuned for episode two.